Well, that was a fun night. Until it wasn't. But then it kind of was again. On today's episode of Locked on Raptors, we're talking about a very bizarre 98-83 Raptors loss to the Washington Wizards in their first home game in 600 days. We'll get into the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly as the Raptors fall to 0-1. Coming up. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked on Raptors. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1040 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, October the 21st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. And of course, you can find the podcast free on all of your favorite podcast platforms and on YouTube. So please go over to the YouTube page and subscribe if you have not yet. It's very much appreciated. Even if you're not going to watch it, just subscribe so we get the numbers. It's very, very helpful and uh, is good for algorithms and all that good stuff. Uh, and thank you for making us your first listen of the day. All right, on today's show, it's game recap time, baby. It's been a long time since we got to talk about a Raptors regular season game and an even longer time since we got to talk about a Raptors home regular season game and not one of these Tampa home games, a legitimate real ass in Toronto at Scotiabank Arena home game. The vibes were extremely strong going into the game last night. The spoken word poems. I cried. Katie Heindel, who I was sitting next to, a frequent guest of the podcast, cried. It was an emotional night, and it was kind of almost, it seemed too good to fail, honestly. It seemed like there was no way the vibes were going to be hushed at all. And then the first three quarters of the game happened. So we're going to dig into what went wrong for the Raptors in this game. Talk about the defense in particular, which I know in a game where they scored 83 points and only gave up 98 doesn't really seem like the big issue but I think the defense is why they lost this game especially their defense in the first half we're also going to talk about OG Ananobi who had a really rough game in his first game as the anointed number one on the team at least until Pascal Siakam gets back and then we're going to talk about the back part of the game which was super fun and is actually kind of what the season is all about so Let's dig in first to the defense, shall we? The Raptors give up 57 points in the first half of this game, and it was just kind of a repeat of all the stuff we saw last year with Nick Nurse's hyper-aggressive defense, where if you're not playing that Nick Nurse defense with the utmost discipline and you don't have, you know, a collection of six, seven, eight unbelievably on a string, you know, willing, disciplined defenders all kind of working together, it kind of falls apart really quickly because one weak link in the chain can lead to easy layups for Howell Neto at the basket. And that was kind of what happened in the first half last night. There were so many instances in this game where you know, one of the Raptors' very good defenders, be it Scotty Barnes, be it, uh, you know, OG Ananobi, you know, Gary Trent Jr. had a really nice defensive game. You know, all these guys 
were handling themselves just fine in single coverage, you know, navigating pick and rolls, you know, ISO, you know, ISO situations from Bradley Beal, whoever it might have been, and it was totally fine. They were comfortable, they were holding them off, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just like off the screen comes, all right, here's another help defender just to force the ball out of the, the, the ball handler's hands. And then, as a result, because the Raptors are still not quite schooled to the Nickner's defense, and because it's a very difficult defense to master and perfect and to play every single possession, you get an open layup for Howell Neto at the basket. Or, you know, Montrez Harrell kind of having a mismatch underneath the basket where off a missed shot, because there's no one in position, he's easily kind of outgunning a, a creaky-legged, you know, still getting his conditioning back, Kem Birch or Pesha Zachua, who are just out of position because they've been flying all over the floor trying to make Nick Nurse's hyper-aggressive defense work. And the Raptors... You know, yes, their offense, and we're going to get to their offense, it was miserable in this game as well, and it didn't do them any favors in that first half, but they lost this game in that second quarter because they kept giving up basically the same bucket over and over again. And I thought at the end of the first half, the final possession, it was kind of a, a really telling you know, moment for why the Raptors should maybe just like trust their defenders a little bit more, maybe try switching more often or not even not even just switching, just like playing straight up man defense and not forcing the, the issue when it comes to all these hyper aggressive rotations. On the possession, Kyle Kuzma comes down with, I think, like 20 on the clock. He's got Sfima Hailuk on him, who's not a, a great defender or anything like that, but he did very well defending Kuzma on this possession. Kuzma tried a lot of times just to try to ISO him, to get by, blow by, you know, all these different sort of counters, and Mihailuk stayed with him. Eventually, Kuzma kind of bullies his way to within, like, eight feet, and he tries to put up a floater near the buzzer to win, to, to end, the, end the half. And Chris Boucher, because he's in position and wasn't flying all over the court trying to help Sfima, in the first place was right there to swat the shot away and I just think that kind of play that possession really kind of illustrates this is a team that doesn't have to play that hyper aggressive style that's not to say they shouldn't sometimes I think you know a nice balance would be nice I think playing that 25% of the time 30% of the time maybe in specific matchups you make it your sort of base defense for a game that's totally fine but with the number of really good one-on-one -on -one defenders the Raptors have, it doesn't totally feel necessary to make yourself out of position by design as opposed to, you know, the odd instances where it might be by necessity and you're actually trying to help for a reason. And it just seemed like there are too many instances where they were being overly aggressive for not really much purpose. And, you know, this leads, of course, to fouling. The Raptors foul a ton. They were in the, uh, the penalty in the middle of the second quarter as well. That certainly didn't help matters as they tried to, you know, keep the Wizards from blowing it open as they were up by 20 at halftime. That certainly didn't help. And, and again, I, I just think we saw enough instances where their one-on-one -on -one defense is good enough, their switching defense is good enough, that they don't have to play such a hyper-aggressive style all the time. They don't always have to be balls to the wall because that's not necessary. Like they have the horses to play a normal base defense, even just to drop into a zone or something like that, which they did do a little bit as well. The second half, I thought, kind of rectified the problem. And the Raptors, you know, flirted with a comeback. We'll get to the fourth quarter and we'll get to sort of where things turned around, mostly via Delano Benton, who is just a, an absolute energy ball who I want to watch play every game for the rest of the season now. But when it came to the second half, Mike Prada from uh, SB Nation and, you know, all over the place, wonderful uh, basketball writer. I don't even know if he's with SB Nation anymore. Either way, Mike Prada was talking about how, oh, the Raptors are switching against the Wizards now, and this seems to be kind of working. They're switching against Kuzma. They're switching against Beal. And that is 
why the Raptors were able to kind of hang in there and make it so they could make a fake comeback in the fourth quarter. The Wizards only scored 41 second half points, just 24 in the third quarter, 17 in the fourth. And look, I think you saw in that second half, there is a balance to be struck here. And the Raptors do have the horses, not just to play a sort of reserved defense, but they can also play the hyper-aggressive defense when they need to. And we saw that in the fourth, when they were really trying to force turnovers, really cut into, you know, play the possession game and make it so their fake comeback maybe had a shot of actually coming through. They went to a full-court press. They hyper-pressured the ball. Like, that was great. But... Again, I think that was set up because they were able to play a more reserved defense in the third quarter and still reliably keep the Wizards from racking up points. So that's just, I think, the the thing I'm going to be watching this season, honestly, is how does Nick Nurse adapt here? Does he just continue to say, all right, learn the defense or you're not going to play to a lot of these guys? That could be the case, and maybe that's why someone like Malachi Flynn didn't play last night, because he doesn't really fit the profile of someone who's going to be good at this style of defense. Maybe Nick Nurse is just going to push it the way he did last year, even though his personnel wasn't quite there. I do think if they stick with it, they'll be able to master it a little better this season because the personnel is better. They have a lot of long-rangey defenders who, in theory, can fit into that Nick Nurse-style defense. But I do think over the course of the season, he's going to have to course correct a little bit. And I think the other thing that kind of amplifies all this and complicates matters is that there's not really a traditional center on this team, of course. You know, Ken Birch, I think, is a totally fine, you know, stationary rim protector if you keep him near the basket. Chris Boucher, when he's in position, is obviously an imposing shot blocker. Precious Achua, that dude fouls everybody when he's trying to block shots, so maybe you don't count on him as a reliable rim protector. But either way, I really think that with the lack of a traditional rim protector, that makes it that much more difficult for the Raptors to perform this incredibly complex and hyper-aggressive defense because it's often going to leave you with someone at the rim who needs to kind of be the person to mop up the mess that the other sort of rotations have created. And if you don't have that reliable rim protector who is, you know, Marc Gasol, Serge Ibaka, someone like that, then things can really, really, you know, snowball on you pretty quickly here. So, How Nick Nurse adjusts to the personnel he has, the young sort of inexperienced personnel he has, the lack of chemistry this team very clearly is sitting right with right now with so many new faces. That was a very evident thing last night on both ends of the floor, really. It's just there's not much in terms of connectivity right now. That'll all come, and I think it's worth remembering you know, and this has been the case pretty much for the entirety of Nick Nurse's tenure with the team. Whenever the team gets, you know, 10, 12, 15 games to play the same way over and over, they tend to master it pretty well and really get on a heater. Every time the Raptors tend to, you know, go on a run under the Nick Nurse regime, it's kind of coincided with just having, you know, stability in the lineup and not having to try new things and having guys in and out. You know, that 15-game winning streak back in 2019-20 was very much that. It was like, oh, they're back from being injured, and all of a sudden, here's everybody on the team all playing in the same sort of um, level, and it just and it just works. And it sings. And I think Nick Nurse is really good at once he knows what he has, kind of mastering what he has, and and then it kind of portrays itself in results on the floor. But, you know, it's going to be tricky with this roster because it is so young, it is so inexperienced, there's so much chemistry to be built. I would just like to see maybe a bit more of a reserve defense at times, just because they can do it. They have the horses to do it, especially when Pascal Siakam gets back. I mean, you don't need to play a rangy, fly-all-over-the-place defense when you have Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, all very capable of guarding one-on-one and not letting their guy get anything against them. So, That's it. The defense is the big takeaway for me from the first game, even though the offense was bad. And we will get into some reasons why the offense was very bad in just one second here. We're going to talk about OG Ananobi. 
his really, really rough start after a promising preseason. Don't worry, I don't think you're sounding alarm bells just yet or anything like that, but it is certainly something to uh, keep an eye on as, uh, you know, OG kind of rounds into this role. We'll talk about OG, we'll talk about Fred Van Vliet as well, but first, I want to tell you about our friends over at McDonald's, baby! This episode of Locked On Raptors is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more, uh, been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect. A place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team or away team can come to recharge. It's the place you always look forward to stopping along a road trip to rest your legs and refuel. I know that is very much true for me. I love McDonald's. Look, I'm a person who uh, indulges in fast food sometimes, and McDonald's is number one. My greatest McDonald's experience of all time was the night the Raptors won the NBA championship. I uh, ordered delivery from the McDonald's app, and the delivery driver came to my house at like 3.30 in the morning after I'd finished writing my book, and I wasn't at the restaurant, of course, you know, I didn't get to take advantage of the Wi-Fi and all that, but the delivery driver shows up, and he's wearing a Raptors jersey, and the Raptors had just won the title, we're all very happy, and we hugged in the driveway! That is my greatest McDonald's experience, but I'm sure I would have hugged the same person had I gone to the store as well, uh, because if you go to the restaurant, there's lots of great stuff to, to go on, you got ball pits, you got birthday parties, you got cookies, you got Wi-Fi. There's nothing uh, that you can't get at a McDonald's. So head to your local McDonald's and refuel and reconnect. Did somebody say Locked On Raptors watch party? Mm, that's not a bad idea. Either way, uh, thank you so much to McDonald's. I'm loving it. All right, let's continue on here with uh, some talk about OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet. We talked about how the defense was a real sore spot for the team in the first half of the game. The offense, obviously, was a sore spot for most of this game, and it's probably mostly on the shoulders of Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi. They combined last night to shoot 8 of 37, 3 of 18 from 3. OG goes for 11 points, 10 boards, 2 steals. Really didn't contribute much to this game until the fake comeback in the fourth when he hit two back-to-back threes, which was great to see. He was in rhythm. It looked good. That was a refreshing sight to see that maybe sets him up for a little bit more of a comfortable performance in the next game. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, 5 of 20, 1 of 9 from 3. That one three he made was the first basket of the game, and he was a team-worst minus 22. Just four assists for Fred as well. It was just a really, really sloggy, difficult game for the Raptors to get any flow here. And Fred VanVleet took some blame for it after the game. He did not, you know, profess to being a very calming presence for the team when he was out there. And as much as he said, you know, it's not my job to be everyone's psychiatrist on the floor, certainly when I'm playing calm, that's going to help everybody else. And I think, you know, this is this is kind of indicative of a couple things, right? Obviously, the Raptors are going to miss Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry is the kind of guy who could settle a game like this down, and in the moments where no one else is hitting their shots, he can kind of drive in, move a guy aside with his ass, and score under the basket pretty easily to kind of get some easy points for the Raptors when they desperately need them. Fred Van Vliet is just not that guy yet. Maybe he gets there, maybe he doesn't. There were a couple moments last night where he did have pretty crucial buckets. There was a, a leak out and a fast break finish that he had that I thought was a pretty important moment, uh, I think, in the second quarter. Obviously, you know, things spiraled away after that anyway, but... You know, there were some moments where Fred was like, okay, I can do this, but that's not Fred Van Vliet's bag. We've talked about this before. 
it's going to be unfair to compare him to Kyle Lowry all season long. And it's going to happen, surely, because it's the the thing you got to do. It's just the he's filling in the shoes of Kyle Lowry. It's an unfair set of shoes to be filling, but it's just how it's going to be. I'll try to, on this podcast, maybe take it with a grain of salt and not try to, you know, do the straight comparison thing. But it's inevitably going to happen with lots of people who watch Fred Van Vliet this season. And I think the important thing is to remember, he's not Kyle Lowry. He's Fred Van Vliet, and the things he does well are very different. And I think the things he does well weren't really given a chance to shine last night just because the Raptors, A, just were disjointed altogether. They seemed kind of almost... um, like, just kind of thrown off by the long pregame ceremony and the crowd being so raucous, it did seem like there were some nerves, kind of like game one playoff vibes in a lot of ways, so maybe that was part of it, maybe they shake that off and the next home game is a lot more sort of easy to settle into, that's a possibility, I mean, the Wizards sat through the same pregame, they didn't seem to have much trouble getting going, but I think that's totally fair if, if that was something that was going on here, but, you know, Fred Van Vliet, he's good at being off the ball. He's good at being a secondary creator. Yes, he can, you know, create his own shot from three. He can sometimes get to the basket and then create for others with his driving kick. Not really so much for himself. The mid-range still a work in progress. The floater game, not really there just yet. So he doesn't have the same bag that Kyle Lowry had, and he doesn't have just the same sort of floor general operating chops that Kyle Lowry had. And so You saw pretty clearly here, the second thing that it's indicative of is that Pascal Siakam is very important to this team. Pascal Siakam is the most dynamic ball handler on this Raptors team, and Fred Van Vliet, as the number two ball handler next to Pascal, I think makes a lot of sense. You can run inverted pick and rolls, you can just kind of give Pascal the run of the offense for a bit and have Fred do his amazing relocation away from the ball, his wonderful off-ball movement. He didn't get the chance to do that a lot last night, and Van Vliet was running the lion's share of the possessions. I do think that's probably why Goran Dragic started this game, and I'm curious to see how long Dragic starts at the two next to Fred. Maybe it's a long-term thing here. Maybe they need that extra creation in the in the in the starting lineup, and they can find ways to stagger with second units. And I thought they found some interesting second units in the second quarter that just didn't work out very well. But I think in theory, you know, Fred Van Vliet was out there with Gary Trent Jr.'s Fima Luke, Chris Boucher, Kem Birch. That's a lot of shooting. That's a pretty decent defensive lineup against second units. I think that should be a fine look most nights. It was not last night because Fred was off and was not playing up to his standards. But again, I think, you know, Pascal coming back, even OG Ananobi having a better game, you know, than he had last night, I think will help alleviate some of the burden that's on Fred Van Vliet because it was very clear that all the burden was on him last night to get things going and get things moving. And that's going to be the case for this team, right? This team is going to be erratic and weird. They have a lot of guys who don't really want to play within the confines of traditional team play. They're flying all over the place. They're you know jumping for steals. They're kind of improvising on the fly on offense. You know, Precious Achua was kind of guilty of this a few times last night. You know, it's going to be a work in progress to kind of get things in control. All this energy is nice. You need adults in the room. I'm sorry, knocked my mic. Uh, You need adults in the room to kind of calm the thing down. And Fred did not do that last night. I have a feeling he will as we go forward here. There's a chance this is one of his worst games of the entire season. But that was a very clear problem last night. And Pascal, I think, really just throwing him in here knocks everybody down a rung on the ladder of responsibility and makes it easier for everybody. So uh, get well soon, Pascal Siakam. 
On that note, OG Ananobi filling in that Siakam sort of top scoring role, even though Fred took more shots than OG did in this game. It's very clear that OG is going to be the go-to relied upon scorer for this team until Pascal gets back at least. And it just did not work out so well last night. Again, 11 points on 3 of 17 shooting. Got to the line, uh, 3 of 4 from the line. You know, not amazing, but, you know, got to the line at least a few times. That was nice. Hit those couple threes in the fourth quarter to kind of salvage his day a little bit. But really, not what you want to see from OG after all of the hype of the pre season and all the excitement about what he could be, the efficiency he displayed, the 69.1% true shooting he had in the preseason, the, you know, the turnover rate that was the same as Fred Van Vliet's when he had the ball in his hands, all of that kind of uh, fell apart in this game. He had three turnovers in this one, just uh, the one assist, and more so, he just kind of looked forced in a lot of his offense, right? And this is going to be the case. The preseason is one thing. You come up against real NBA defenses, and it's, it remains to be seen whether the Wizards are a real NBA defense. Contavious Caldwell-Pope is quite good. Kyle Kuzma was good for the Lakers last season. I still think the Wizards are going to stink on defense overall. The Raptors might have a way of making bad defenses look good. Who's to say? But I, I think... You know, there's extra attention put OG's way, extra burden, and the sort of speed and intensity of a regular season NBA game just can't be measured when you're in the preseason. It's just not the same. That said, I don't think this is like some sort of sign that OG is not up to the task, and we've talked about this. I wrote about this this week for RaptorsHQ.com. OG Ananobi is going to have some growing pains, especially when Pascal Siakam is out. He is not used to being thrust into this kind of responsibility. It's going to be tough for OG Ananobi to, you know, achieve the levels of efficiency you want to see from a number one scorer, especially when the team's best player is not around. And so I think, you know, take this all, you know, in stride and know that this is probably as bad as it's going to get for OG as well. This is kind of the case with this game is, you know, it's the first game of the year, but in a lot of ways, we saw the very worst that this Raptors team is going to be capable of this year, and I don't think we're going to see many times where it's this bad, this disjointed. You, we could see more instances of it, but I don't think it's going to be like a recurring thing. They're not this bad of a team. No team is this bad at offense. It's the NBA. There's never been a team this bad at scoring points, but I think... You know, the, the 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 process with OG is going to be difficult. I think there's got to be a little bit more control with the way he drives. He can get by, dudes. I mean, his handle was not the problem in a lot of cases last night. He had a couple really beautiful, you know, blow-bys, crossovers, counters, things like that, and just kind of either got blocked at the rim, duffed the finish, missed a couple of pull-ups. You know, it's just stuff that... I didn't hate the process by which he was getting to his shots. They just weren't falling. A lot of his threes were wide open. They just weren't falling. I think that was kind of a, the case with this. I don't want to go it's all make or miss or whatever, but, you know, this was kind of a make or miss game for the Raptors too. Nick Nurse talked about it as well after the game. They had a lot of really sort of easy around the basket looks, and maybe that's on the, la the lack of sort of, you know, finishing prowess for the team. But I also think most teams are going to finish better than they did from two-point range than they did last night. So, again, the OG thing it's going to take time. There are going to be nights like this. There will be nights where he looks incredible, perhaps as soon as Friday when they take on the Celtics. You know, this is going to be, I think, a very whack-a-mole style team. It's going to be, you know, great oscillations between their worst and their best. And, you know, finding the middle will be important to have that sort of stability. But uh, I do think OG is, you know, it was a rough, rough performance. There are things to work on for sure. The forcing up of sort of like, you know, off-balance floaters and things like that. That's stuff he's going to have to get better at, obviously, if he wants to mold into a number one scorer. All the best number one scorers are fluid, can finish with both hands, finish off-balance. That's just part of the package that all these guys have. 
but he's got to try it first in order to get there. And if you're not giving him the chance to fail, there's no way that he's ever going to get the opportunity to succeed down the line. So uh, I would hold off on any panic buttons on OG and OB just yet. Talk to me in two, three, four weeks if things continue down this path. Um, with that, let's move into some positive stuff, shall we? It was uh, kind of a rough game for the Raptors in a lot of ways and, you know, kind of cut into the good vibes. But that said, some of the vibes were uh, recovered with the back part of this game uh, in the fourth quarter and the end of the third quarter with that very special Delano Banton, uh, like just fantastic, fantastic uh, <laughs> finish uh, to the third quarter with that heave that he had for his first NBA bucket. So we will get to that in just one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Calm. Do you know what makes LeBron James King James? It's sleep. That's right. Sleep is his superpower. Calm, the number one app for sleep meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you activate the power of sleep. When it comes to athletes, we tend to focus on physical fitness, but there's another side to the game that's just important, and that is mental fitness. Calm is the number one app for sleep meditation, has teamed up with LeBron once again to do all of that and make it so you have the meditation, the mindset, the sleep to get the most out of your day. For LeBron, sleep is a critical part of his mental fitness routine. As he says, quote, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. From the sound of rain falling on leaves to bedtime sleep stories, calm puts me to sleep within minutes, which means I wake up ready for any challenge, unquote. So if you head to calm.com slash locked on NBA for a limited time, you'll get 40% off a calm premium subscription with calm you have access to nature scenes LeBron loves like rain on leaves and so much more like sleep stories and meditations so you can be ready for any challenges that life throws your way. I will also say my lovely fiance uses Calm and swears by it. My fiance and LeBron James, basically the two biggest sign-offs you can possibly get. Again, for a limited time, our listeners can join Calm, uh, LeBron in using Calm and get a 40% discount on Calm, a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash LockedOnNBA. That is C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash LockedOnNBA. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on NBA. That is C-A-L-M.com slash locked on NBA. And today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Sweatblock. And by now, you should know, uh, Sweatblock works. It's a wonderful, wonderful product, and I am a very satisfied customer. What is Sweatblock, do you ask? Well, it comes in many forms, but mostly it comes in the form of their Sweatblock antiperspirant wipes, where you can stop excessive sweat for up to seven days per use. It's doctor-created, doctor-recommended, dry shirt guarantee as well, meaning if Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. Not just for armpits, chest, back, feet, hands. You can use it anywhere, and I mean anywhere, <clears throat> that sweats. If you or someone you care about is dealing with excessive sweat, you got to try sweat block. I promise you it works. It works for athletes. It works for Hollywood producers. All of these testimonials have come in, and I am one of those testimonials as well. I thought I was lost. I thought I was never going to find a clinical antiperspirant that would work for me, and guess what? Sweat block has come along and quite literally changed my life for the better. So get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code Locked on, all one word, or you can pick it up at Amazon and CVS. But if you want that promo code, go to sweatblock.com. Get it from the source with the promo code locked on. All right, let's round this out and talk about the good side of this game. The things that I think, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, matter the most. And that is the young freak sickos that the Raptors have on the team doing 
young guy freak sicko things. And the fourth quarter was just a delight to watch. It kind of brought the vibes back. It brought, I think, the sort of belief in what this team can be down the line, what the vision for this team is down the line. It brought it all back to the forefront. And I think the two main guys you got to look at here are Scotty Barnes and Delano Banton. Banton, of course, comes in, hits that incredible buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter to set the Raptors up for at least a fake comeback coming into the fourth. I think they were still down like 22, but it still felt something, you felt something when it happened. It was a really kind of awesome moment. The ovations Banton was getting all night as the Rexdale kid. Just a really, really awesome story. Playing in the arena that he grew up attending and watching games in. Just uh, as cool as it gets when it comes to the Delano Banton stuff. And then he was, like, legitimately good in the fourth quarter to the point that, I don't know, man, I feel bad for Patrick Matumbo with Raptors 905 because I'm not sure he's getting Delano Banton back anytime soon. The G League season starts up in a few weeks, and it remains to be seen because Banton, I thought, was, you know, kind of destined for a lot of 905 time. But the way he played last night, the way he kind of brought a little bit of control to what the Raptors were doing, despite also kind of being a maniac, it was uh, really impressive. You know, he kind of manned the point for that weirdo lineup the Raptors had in the fourth quarter of, I think it was Boucher, Trent, uh, Barnes, Banton, and I want to say Svee was out there, if I'm not mistaken. No, Birch was out there. Sorry, it was Birch playing center. All along, you know, Gary Trent Jr., the smallest guy on the floor is 6'5". By the way, Gary Trent Jr., awesome defensive game last night. You know, some crazy gambles for steals, but some of them really well-timed, and hopefully he can kind of continue that because that's how he can impact on the defensive end for sure. Either way, that lineup was just uh, all over the place. That's where that defense works. And, you know, when it's desperation time and you really have to force turnovers and it's high risk, high reward, you have nothing to lose because you're down 20, but you have everything to gain because you're down 20 and your defense has the ability to force teams into duress and force turnovers and get you know your transition game going. That's what happened in this game last night. And that's where that defense can really be valuable. And, the, you know, the full court press, a la that Dallas Mavericks game a few years back where they came back from 30 down, also was very much on display for, for times in the fourth quarter too and with that amount of length you can make it work and yeah you're going to give up some easy buckets here and there but more often than not those buckets are coming after some very stressful and hairy moments for the offensive team and you know Banton you had seven points in this game he was three of four from the field including that heave you know he just really kind of injected some penetration into what the Raptors are doing on offense like found his way to the basket quite easily he's so long he can finish through traffic you know he's not like it's like the anti Fred Van Vliet right where you know Van Vliet can get to the basket easily enough but then it's just like oh god there are trees all around me Banton himself is a tree so that works out pretty nicely and then on the defensive end Banton was like working as a senator at times was like the last line of defense on a few possessions as the rim protector and was doing just fine there I have no idea what position Delano Banton plays, and that is the coolest thing about Delano Banton. Scotty Barnes also, we haven't really talked about Scotty Barnes much, but Scotty Barnes I thought was a ton of fun in this game, tied for the team lead in scoring with 12 points, 5 of 13 from the field, you know, missed some here and there, you know, airballed a 3 or came close to it at one point from the corner, that's all the work in progress stuff, but I'm really encouraged by Scotty Barnes. The transition game is really really nice he is so fast when he gets out into the open floor like he's not just kind of head down tunnel vision I'm gonna finish this off he's looking for outlet passes he's throwing no look passes on the break to some guys it's just a a, like a real sort of 
appointment viewing just to watch Scotty Barnes run in transition. And in that fourth quarter, you know, the defense, you know, again, he, you know, made some defensive mistakes in this game, rookie style, you know, playing Nick Nurse's defense. You're going to make some mistakes when you're a rookie. It's just how it's going to be. It's hard to play that flawlessly. But, you know, the the moments where he's kind of, you know, just throwing his arm into a passing lane and getting a deflection and, you know, harassing a ball handler, pressuring the ball and forcing a bad decision out of a ball handler, not even so much a turnover, just like a poor decision that keeps the offense from really finding its groove. That's the Scotty Barnes experience on defense. On offense, his handle is a lot better than I think I've ever thought or given him credit for. You know, he can, you know, take it. He can drive on his own. He can post up, that type of thing. You know, he had the beautiful sky hook with his lefty. uh, I guess it was more of a baby hook than a sky hook, but a beautiful lefty baby hook for his first ever NBA bucket. There's a lot to like about what Scotty Barnes does. The energy he brought in that fourth quarter, I think, is the energy you expect that Scotty Barnes is going to bring all the time, considering the dude that he is and just the kind of his personality and demeanor. It's going to be a ton of fun to watch this guy perform this year. And honestly, when the Raptors lose games, if they lose games in this fashion where Banton, Barnes, some of the other young guys are doing cool things... I don't really care. Honestly, I'm looking for those pops of promise and flourishes of potential more than I am sort of wins and losses this season. I still think the wins are going to come. I still think this is going to be, you know, a 500-ish team. I picked them to go 42 and 40. I think things will come together, especially when Siakam is back, and I think their defense will become pretty hellacious to play against, but I do think it's going to take some time, and there's going to be a lot of really gross losses along the way because, again, I think there's going to be a very wide range of outcomes for this team. They're going to look incredible some nights going to look unbeatable like the future of basketball is here and then they're going to be nights where they look like they don't know how to score baskets and might struggle to score 80 points and their defense you know falls apart as well because there's just not that connectivity there but watching Barnes do what he did last night watching Banton watching you know even Chris Boucher kind of have a really nice fourth quarter Gary Trent Jr. again we forget 22 years old 22 years old excuse me you know, still, you know, kind of finding his way and learning his way and, and you know, kind of improving pretty notably on the defensive end so far. Like all of those little moments of, okay, yeah, okay, that's a nice little bit of progress there, a little bit of development there. Eventually, these things are all going to coalesce into a team that is just very good with a lot of rock-solid players. And in the meantime, you know, yeah, there will be tough losses, but a lot of them will be dotted with these really fun flashes. And I think most people from this game are going to remember the fourth quarter more than they remember the outcome, you know, six months a year from now it's all going to be about that fourth quarter and what took place there because those that's where you see the seedlings of what this team can be and what the overall vision for the roster is down the line anyway that's going to do it for today's show we're going to talk about some more stuff on tomorrow's podcast with katie heindel get a little bit deeper we're going to talk about starting lineups we're going to talk about precious achua versus kem birch which is very much a question right now as nick nurse said before the game and we will talk a little bit more as the raptors get ready to play the boston celtics in boston on friday night and then the dallas mavericks on saturday back in Toronto. So we'll tee all that up for you tomorrow with Katie Heindel. Until then, thank you so much for tuning in and making us your first listen of the day. Please go subscribe on all your favorite podcast apps as well as on YouTube. It's much appreciated when you take the time. And uh, thank you, as always, for being a listener of the podcast. You are so, so appreciated. And I'm glad that we got a season now. We get to talk about games again. It's lovely. It's fantastic. And we will continue to be with you every single day throughout the regular season. With that, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked in NBA is there covering a loaded slate of games last night in the NBA. Go check it out and uh, support that podcast. Find it on YouTube as well and hit that subscribe button. Anyway, that's it. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye bye.